0: Good morning, Whatnotters, Pastor Wolfmuller here, Monday, January 9th, Year of Our Lord 2023, Whatnot the podcast, answering a question from Rachel, three questions really, that came up in a theology class in Concordia Seward about the simile, about progressive sanctification, about cheap grace, great questions, Rachel. Uh, thank you all for uh, listening, for being here with me. Hope it's enjoyable to you to think theologically along with you here. On the podcast, this was the answer. By the way, was recorded in the car at five forty, waiting for the tow truck to come to pick up Carrie's car. Uh, that's why it sounds a little bit different. But hey, I, so hopefully it's all right because one of the ideas is to be able to take the podcast on the road. So got to go to Milwaukee this week, Washington D.C. next week. But I hope that the podcast will continue. So we'll see. Uh Co slash contact to send in your own questions or thoughts. Here we go. Rachel, who's a student in a theology class at one of our Concordias, uh, Concordia, Nebraska, had some questions that came up in class, uh, questions about the simile, and questions about cheap grace and progressive sanctification. That's great. Um, Let's just walk down a few of these and define some terms and talk about it a little bit. Think theologically with you uh, if you will. The, the first is the symbol this is we hear this tossed around all over the place in Lutheran circles and it's become a little bit of a shibboleth uh, what, kind of a a marker of someone's theology and theological thinking. It has a life of its own. it's a it's a phrase from Martin Luther. But it's kind of like the theology of the cross, theology of glory. If you were if you were to talk to Luther when he was dying, and you'd ask him about theology of cross, theology of glory, he'd say, what? What are you, what are you talking about? It, like, it was this thing that he mentioned in the Heidelberg Theses in 1518, and then he sort of sets it aside. He doesn't really go back to it. And I think the same thing is true with this phrase, the symbol. If you go try to track this down in Luther's writings, you can find it uh, two or three times, but it's very rare, but it's, it's sort of taken on a life of its own. And maybe that's because it has some helpful explanatory power, but I think we probably take it too far. So, uh, what does it mean? Simul means at the same time, but it comes from the phrase simul justus peccator, which means at the same time justified and sinner. And a lot of times it's used as a, anthropological thing. I think Luther maybe uses it this way one time, and that is, how do we describe the state that we're in as Christians? Now, let me, let me back up and take a running start at this idea. There's a beautiful little phrase at the, at the it's a first line of the second or third article in the formula of Concord. is so we have to distinguish between the four states of man's will And this is an old Saint Augustine distinction, and I think it's really helpful. We recognize that there's a difference um, with our capacity to choose before the fall, after the fall, after baptism, and after the resurrection. That little article in the formula, it must be article two or one, maybe, Is really interested in the state of our will after the fall but what we're talking about here with the simul is the state of man's will after the after baptism after regeneration but let's walk through these we remember Adam and Eve before the fall were able to sin apparently they also were free to not sin they were able not to sin Uh, they had that freedom that choice but after the fall that freedom goes away so that St. Augustine says that they're non posse, non peccare, that it's not possible not to sin. All they can do is sin. And we know in the resurrection, this is a joyful hope, is that we're not able to sin. Death is no more, therefore sin is no more. It's great. But how is it now? Now, there's a lot of people, a lot of theological uh, churches, conf- um, confessions that don't believe that man's will changes at all, all the way through. In fact, I remember I was in the office of my grandparents, Southern Baptist pastor, and we were talking about this. And he says, you think that the state of man's capacity to choose changes? It has different states. Uh, You don't, I said. <laughs> but he he thought it was all the way through, just like Adam and Eve, Able to sin, able not to sin after the fall, able to sin, able not to sin after regeneration, able to sin, able not to sin. I don't know what he thought about the resurrection, but in other words, he didn't think it changed. Now, we go along with the Reformed and the other uh, original sin theologians against free will. And we recognize that after the fall, we're not able not to sin. All we can do is sin. But what happens after you're baptized? But Most people think we go back to how it was before the fall, we're able to sin, able not to sin. But we understand that th- this is where Romans 7 comes in, that I have a will to do God's will, and I also have the will of the flesh that doesn't want to do God's will, that I am flesh and spirit, and that those two realities define who I am as a Christian. The flesh always sinning and the spirit always rejoicing in the gifts of God. And this is probably how most people think of the symbol I'm at the same time I'm perfect according to the spirit and wretched according to the flesh. Good according to the spirit and bad according to the flesh. Justified and righteous according to the spirit. Condemned. Damned, according to the flesh. Now, again, I think you can find one reference. My friend Pastor Ketchmeyer tracked down all the uses of simil in uh, in Luther's works. Maybe I'll try to find that and put it in the show notes. Take a look at the show notes uh, and and see if its the link is there. That'll determine my success or not. But uh, th- that's how most people think of it. Now, it, there's a couple. That, let me make a couple of notes about this before. I think how Luther normally uses the symbol and that's a better use but th- this is true that this is how we are we're flesh versus spirit and it's very important for us especially now that we uh, that we acknowledge that the flesh spirit distinction is not the body soul distinction in other words if i say what is your flesh you don't point to your body that's not your flesh because the flesh is the is the fallen, old Adam, sinful part of you, which is both your body and your soul. In fact, the, the worst sins, if we can put it this way, that you commit are not sins of the body, but sins of the soul. Unbelief, despair, um, anger at God, all that. That's, those are soul sins, but that's the flesh. It's one of the marks of Gnosticism. That it makes the flesh spirit distinction to be the same as the body soul distinction. And that sets your soul or your mind or your heart against your body. And you take that to its conclusion and you have transgenderism, blam, which cannot, which receives the body as a distrustful enemy, as a prison, as something to be broken out of or to be changed, manhandled, if you can use that word to conform to my inner reality, so forth and so on. So we are in the living in the middle of this flesh-spirit distinction. And the key question for us is, which side of that distinction is the I? And th- th- this is, th- th- this little thing, dear friend, uh, transformed the way I think about being a Christian. For me personally. I don't I do I do not know how to express the profound joy that came from, from this little change in thinking. Is which side of that line, which side of the flesh-spirit distinction is the eye on? Because I always thought of myself as the flesh part, and the spirit is like God invading me or something like that. But when we read Romans 7, we see that Paul is on the other side of that distinction. The I is on the other side of that distinction. The I is on the spirit side. The good that I would, I don't. So that that we identify more with the spirit and the new man than we do with the flesh. And we recognize that our flesh, our old Adam, our sinful nature is passing away together with the world and all its corruption. And that the new man will live and stand forever before the Lord. And this is our great confidence and our great hope. Uh, It's so helpful because it means when I'm tempted, I can begin to see that temptation is coming from from not me, but as an assault on me, and it lets me be a friend of Jesus in the midst of temptation. In other words, when temptation comes to sin, uh, there's two pressures. There's the pressure of temptation, and then there's the pressure of, what, the Ten Commandments to not sin? And which of those pressures do I feel externally and which do I feel internally? Is it the law that's pressing me to act how I don't want to act? Or is it the temptation, the lust that's tempting me to act how I don't want to act? And when the eye is on the side of the Spirit, I recognize that temptation from the from the flesh as coming from the outside. And the Lord is standing with me. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's very helpful for me. Now, that's one way of looking at the simul, and that's anthropologically. And that's all true, but I think we can probably take it too far. When Luther mostly talks about the simul, it's, I think it'd be better, we could probably just express it this way. We are, at the same time, living before God and living before our neighbor. It's the corum deo corum mundo distinction, before the world, before, before heaven. And we recognize that we have two lives and two ways of living and we possess those at the same time. Uh, The most beautiful expression of this came in the prayer that Luther wrote for after we received the Lord's Supper and we prayed every Sunday that the Lord would strengthen us in faith. We pray, Lord strengthen us in faith toward thee and in fervent love toward one another. So we live before God by faith And we live before our neighbor by love. Now, we also love God, and faith also has something to do with our neighbor, but this is the the general impulse that the gospel determines how we stand before God, and the law determines how we stand before the other. There's some famous passages in Luther's Greater Galatians Commentary. And by the way, on all these questions about justification, salvation, law and gospel, anthropology, the Lutheran doctrine of the forgiveness of sins, etc. The definitive work on this is Luther's Greater Galatians commentary. It's called the Greater because it's there. Was two commentaries, and this one is bigger. Fifteen thirty-five, I believe, it was written. Greater Galatians, and he has these beautiful passages that said, "Look, when I ascend into heaven, there's no Moses, only Christ. But when I descend to my neighbor, there Moses tells me what to do. There the law rules." So I'm living at the same time as a child of God, before God, and when it comes to that life, there is no law, no rule, no condemnation, there is just faith, there is just Christ, there is just the forgiveness of sins and mercy. But when I come to live before my neighbor, there is the law, vocation, calling, instruction, um, even discipline, chastising. Not condemnation, but, uh, but rebuke, and so forth, from the Ten Commandments and from, and from Moses. Uh, th- I think it's helpful to recognize that we even have, uh, we even have a good conscience two different ways. I have a good conscience before God uh, by the forgiveness of sins. That's it. By the blood of Jesus by His um, by his mercy, by His sacrifice and suffering. I have a good conscience before my neighbor by my good works, by doing what I ought to do. So I can't say, well, my sins are forgiven, so I don't have to show up on Sunday and preach. And the elders call me up, and they're like, hey, Pastor, you know, it's Sunday, and you're supposed to preach, and instead you... You had ice cream for breakfast and breakfast in bed. And I said, well, look, I have a good conscience because my sins are forgiven. No, no. The good conscience before man comes before um, living according to your vocation and serving your neighbor according to God's law. And that's the symbol that Luther will most often talk about. And I think that's the symbol that's most helpful, not this sort of internal anthropological conversation, but rather, uh, am I living here as a child of God or am I living here as a, son or husband or father or pastor or citizen or neighbor or friend or whatever all right i hope that's helpful conversation about the symbol rachel great question uh, rachel also wonders about cheap grace and progressive sanctification so cheap grace is the worry that hey if the gospel is free then you can do whatever you want and there's a perennial worry about this. In fact, it all it goes back all the way. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter six. Should we sin so that grace should abound? By no means. That's may it never be. That's crazy. But but it just turns out that whenever the gospel is preached, that question is asked, because we can hardly understand life at all except in terms of the of the coercive nature of the law, it is so hard for us to understand grace and forgiveness and the, and the kindness of God and the, and the risk that the Lord takes in giving us the free forgiveness of all of our sins. So we always wanna protect it. Uh, the problem with protecting it is that you come up with this, we, we, we come up with these most ridiculous preachings of the gospel that so distort the gospel to make it unrecognizable. I, I remember hearing a sermon like this, and I can't think of a worse confusion of law and gospel. Ah, uh, the preacher said, "Christ died for you. Now, what are you going to do for him?" And you you see the instinct there. We want to. It can't just be that Christ is dying. It can't just be that God is suffering, and that He's willing to suffer for us. You got to somehow claw it back to. Something dignified, and and so somehow we better get busy and do something to to overcome the indignity of the cross. Well, that that's that's horrible it's, and it's blasphemous and it's not the gospel at all. It makes the gospel into a bribe. There's no strings strings attached to the gospel at all. Grace is not cheap. It's absolutely free and it has to be free. Paul makes this distinction so clearly. Romans and Galatians. He says, look, if it's by wages, it's not grace. You don't write a thank you note for your, to your boss for giving you your paycheck because you earned it. It was not a gift. It was earned. But the gospel is not, cannot, should never be earned. To, to add earning to the gospel is to insult Jesus by not letting him give freely what he wants to give. So the gospel is not cheap. Grace is not cheap. It's utterly free for us. It costs... It cost Jesus everything. It cost him his life. All that suffering and bleeding and dying, that's the cost of grace. But it comes to us absolutely 100% as a free gift. Now the danger, the the theological danger that comes in is people say, well, that that can be abused. Well, okay, yes, it can. But this is the point of Jesus. He's willing to be abused. But for us who do not want to abuse the grace of God, Let's think of it this way. That, and, and I think this little distinction has been helpful for people. You guys can let me know if this is helpful for you. When we think of the law and the gospel in our own lives, it's helpful, as we mentioned before, to think, am I living before God? Am I living before my neighbor? Before God, the gospel. Before my neighbor, the law. But here's another way to think about it. Uh, the law is for the future, and the Gospel is for the past. So when I look at my life and when I think about yesterday, when I consider what I've done and failed to do, and I, all the sins roll to the top, I think, boy, oh boy, what a disaster I am. Then here comes the grace of God, the kindness of God, the forgiveness of sins. The Lord says, I'm not mad at you. I love you. I delight in you. This is why Christ died, for sinners. And I rejoice in the forgiveness of sins. But when I look forward and I think about how should things go today, what should I do today? That's not the time for the gospel, that's time for the law. I asked Moses, hey, what should I do? And he says, well, you should love and your love should look like this according to your various vocations. So the law forward, the gospel back. The devil wants to reverse it. And he, he, he reverses it like this, when you think of the sins that you've committed and all the things you've done wrong, he says, boy, you think you're a Christian? God will never forgive you. For all that, God'll never let you off the hook for all those things you've done wrong, so He preaches the the law about about all the things that you've about all the things that you've done wrong. And then when it comes to the future, and this is the real confusion, he he tries to preach something gospelly, especially when you're in the midst of temptation, and you're thinking about some particular sin that's sitting in front of you. And the and the devil comes along and says, oh yeah, don't worry about it. God will forgive you. God will, God will let you off the hook. God won't be too worried about it. No one will get hurt, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, whenever you see the gospel excusing sin instead of forgiving sin, you know the gospel is being abused. And it is not the gospel at all. It's a and abuse of the gospel that the devil's trying to accomplish. So, so we always want to let the gospel forgive real sins rather than excusing imagined ones. And that's one of the ways that I think we can um, try to avoid what people are trying to avoid when they talk about, about cheap grace. Now, last question from Rachel has to do with progressive sanctification. And it's the question, are we getting better? And the answer is, well, yes, I hope so, but no, not really. One of the ways that we progress in our sanctification is we realize how profoundly sinful we are. We go from recognizing the kind of simple sins of youth to the more profound sins of old age. Uh, well, maybe some in-between. Um, we, we, uh, Luther, this is a large catechism thing, talks about how s- temptation comes in three different ways. When you're young, you're tempted by the flesh. When you're older, you're tempted by the world. And the Christian is always tempted by the devil. So we recognize the different ways that we're tempted, the different ways that original sin is embedded in us, all this sort of thing. There's also a way that we, uh, though, continue to subdue the flesh so that its hold on us becomes weaker. And, and I think that sometimes the doctrine of the symbol, especially the anthropological use of the symbol that we talked about at the beginning, is used against progressive sanctification so that a lot of Lutherans will sort of poo-poo the idea that you can love more and better. Uh, but this is this is all over the scriptures. It speaks of an increase in faith and love and knowledge. And it should be that as we learn more of the Lord and we learn more of his word and we learn more about how the things in this life go, that we are getting better at certain things. I don't think that you can escape that idea uh, in the scriptures. Now, here's the danger. There's never a time when we will not need Jesus. There's never a moment before the resurrection when we won't need the forgiveness of sins. We we can never grow out of our our sinfulness. We can never escape it. It clings to us until the Lord purges us uh, from the flesh by death and by the resurrection. And so we're waiting for that deliverance to come from the outside. But uh, the Lord continues to work in us also by His Holy Spirit so that we can increase in faith and love and hope and charity and and prayer and patience in the midst of affliction. Um, It's one of the great advantages of the stories in the Scriptures, the stories of the martyrs and the saints that have gone before us, is that it shows us, how that we might love and how we might suffer and how we might endure in the midst of all this trouble so it's good for us to recognize that the lord is giving us an increase the fruits of the spirit are always increasing in us or uh peter says in second peter See if I can memorize. I was working on memorizing this yesterday. So he's, he's talking about escaping from the corruption that's in the world through lust. We've already escaped it by faith. And we continue to escape it by adding to our faith virtue and knowledge and self-control and patience and godliness and brotherly love. And uh, brotherly affection, that's what it is. And love. And if these things are ours and increasing, then we have this assurance uh, that the Lord belongs to us and we belong to him. So we're trying to let our lives and our thoughts and our suffering catch up to our faith. Uh, And in that way, I I do think we progress in our sanctification. I think the Bible teaches it. So Rachel, great question. It's exciting to uh, hear you thinking about these theological things. and um, Oh, boy. Remember those college theology classes are so, so great. Uh, so keep those questions coming. If you're listening along, keep those questions coming as well. Uh, really fantastic. Cool. What great questions, Rachel. If you've got theology questions, you can think together about them. Wolfmuller.co slash contact. Producer Packer sorts those for you. Uh, sends the best ones. Although I think that we did an end around on this one. Rachel uh, sent it to me from church, and I, I escalated it up the list. So priority to church members, I suppose. But um, but keep those questions common. It's really great. Uh, you, you know, one of the things that makes us all fit together is that part of our sanctification is that the Lord puts in us an increasing disgust for our own sinfulness. So one of the ways we grow is that we have this... Um, Maybe disgust is the right word, this repulsion to our own sinful nature, to our flesh. Remember repentance is contrition and faith, that uh, is a theological key. The two parts of repentance are contrition, that sorrow over our own sin worked in us by the Holy Spirit through the law, which teaches us not only that we are sinners, but that God is mad at us for our sin, and then faith which is worked in us by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, won for us by the death of Jesus on the cross. This faith brings confidence, joy, hope. gives us a good conscience, a good clean conscience, the assurance that the Lord is not mad at us. It's so wonderful. But part of that contrition is this look to our own sin. That's one of the things that's missing in the sort of cheap grace or antinomian Whatever. So, we want to grow in a, in a disgust and a longing, in a disgust for our sin and a longing for the life to come where that's gone. That's great. Uh, let's see. Announcements. Check the wolfmuller.co slash events for the things that are upcoming. We got uh, March for Life in D.C., January 21st. March for Life here in Texas, January 28th. Going to be in Chicago, second week of February. So, that's great. Trips coming up to oh, Iowa and Germany and who knows where else? I'm going to come down see you guys in Australia in the fall. That'll be great. Denmark next winter. So a lot of cool things happening. So check that event page. Might be swinging by uh, your neighborhood. And um, and always, uh, no matter where you are, we're doing this worldwide Bible class on Wednesdays. Although not this Wednesday or next. So maybe it's a bad time to announce it. But that's a way to keep in touch as well. So all the stuff is on the website. Don't forget to sign up for WhatNot, uh, the Wednesday WhatNot email. Send away a couple free books Uh, every month Uh, you can it's all free you can you can subscribe to it and when you subscribe you get nothing extra it's just a kind of helps fund all the extra theological work over here so your support is very appreciated slash support can do that as well Um, if your family has everything you need if your church has everything it's need you need and you got like a couple extra bucks and you're looking for a good place that but put us way down on your priority list but if you get that far down the list, hey, that's got to be praised, and you can find us down there, uh, and that helps to go to. Well, it's helping fund a handful of things, but trying to expand the work that's happening here too. So, so thanks for your support. Thanks for listening. Uh, God's peace be with you. We'll talk to you soon.